0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey Nockreiner. Oh, I forgot. Corey,
1: cryptocurrency, lovey Nockgriner, because that's me, right?
0: That 100% is you, along with your Apple watches and iPads. I'm an Apple
1: fanboy. I love cryptocurrency. Uh, Give me all the NFTs. They're going to be worth so much. All right,
0: let's let's start the episode before I throw (laughs) up. (laughs) On today's episode, we're going to be covering Conti Leaks, uh, a researcher that has managed to weasel their way into the Conti ransomware organization and leaked information from the inside, as well as the NVIDIA breach and what it means for cybersecurity in general. Uh, So with that, let's go ahead and mine our way in. Like a a weasel, we should skitter on it. (laughs) That too. Hey, I was proud of coming
1: up with a new one this time, dang it. Sorry, I didn't mean to over a particular <laughs> new one. It was good
0: too. So let's start this week with a pretty big news story in the cybersecurity world. Um, over the last week and a half, a Ukrainian researcher going by the name of Conti leaks on Twitter has been leaking information from the inner workings of the Conti and Ryuk ransomware organizations. So Contiware, or Contiware, Conti and Ryuk being two of the more prominent ransomware variants floating around over the past half a decade or so. Um, And it all started with internal communications from the Conti and Ryuk gang's private chat servers that detailed things like their Bitcoin addresses and how they organize attacks, and even how they evade law enforcement action over time. Um, but this researcher escalated things by leaking last week the source code for the administrative panel of the uh, Bizarre bizarre Backdoor API, and then ultimately at the end of last week, uh, culminated with releasing the source code for the encryptor uh, and the decryptor and the builder for the actual ransomware itself. Uh, it's been pretty interesting following this. He's still active every day on Twitter. Like if you check now, he's still actively releasing chat logs from the organization, which before we get into like the the source code bit, it's kind of interesting. It would suggest that, you know, they still have access to the chat server. And my first thought is like obviously developers for ransomware, they have some technical expertise. You'd think they would have been able to like kick this guy out of their systems by now. Which makes me wonder, is it like an insider? Like one of the members of the gang and they're all pointing fingers at each other right now internally trying to figure out who it is? Certainly weird. I mean, there's a lot in the chat logs. I remember seeing one that was, uh, I think, the
1: most recent fresh jabber log, which didn't have a ton of data. but And it's all in Russia, by the way. But Google Translator to the rescue. There was one point where they were asking someone else in the channel who you are. So (laughs) that was kind of interesting. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in the chat I mean keys not not so much keys but wallets for Bitcoin you know I, I'm sure if law enforcement is paying attention there's a wealth of information yeah and we've there. seen
0: like the FBI specifically these days is uh pretty good about going after some of these ransom payments so I bet that even just knowing the address of where to start and where to start following the money from there like they'll potentially have a decent chance of recovering some of the extortion payments like they've been trying to do over the past few years more actively. Um, when it came to leaking the actual source code for the the encryptor, decryptor, and the builder, uh, this researcher actually made a bit of a mistake. So it seems like their intention was to put out a encrypted zip file with all of that source code. And then they also put out this decrypted zip file with just a few things just to prove the contents of that encrypted one is what they said it was. Like they put out the the ransom note, and a few other choice files from the, the ransomware itself. But like their goal wasn't to release the entirety of the source code, I think. Unfortunately though, um, it turns out that if you have a known piece of plain text from within a zip, you can use that to crack the encryption key and decrypt the entirety of the encrypted zip as well. Um, so this actually goes back to 1994. There were two Belgian computer science students um, Ellie B- Byham and Paul Coker, who published a white paper on known plaintext attacks against the PKZIP stream cipher, where basically um, their attack only needed a few bytes of known plaintext, so the original unencrypted file, from within a compressed and encrypted archive. And then using that, um, you could do what's called a known plaintext a- attack against it. A uh, real quick high level of that is most encryption these days that it revolves around building a, a key. So a stream cipher is all about creating a key over time as you're encrypting bytes, and then basically just zoring that. Um, so binary operations against the data you want to encrypt uh, over the length of that data. And what that means is, if you know the original data and the encrypted data, you can just zor those together um, and get the key back out of it. Then for the stream cipher. And so in their attack, uh, back in 1994, they said it takes a few hours. I- I'd be willing to guess that now in 2022 on a modern computer, it takes a little bit less time than a few hours to crack one of these files. Um, so other researchers are quick to find that using some open source tools like BKCrack, which stands for cooker Crack on GitHub, uh, you could plug in that uh, plain text file of the the ransom note, from the unencrypted zip and then basically use that to decrypt the entire encrypted source code directory. So uh, it was only a matter of time, a quick time for them, uh, basically all of the source code to become available for the, the ransomware. Yeah, and one of our researchers did it relatively
1: quickly using, by the way, Wade Hickey, not not the person that originally found these long ago, but uh, did a Medium post basically showing exactly how to do this
0: with the leaked Conti files. Yeah. So I guess that poses the question now, like what is the risk of this ransomware source code being public now? Like we saw with Mirai, as soon as the author of that intentionally released their source code, like Mirai was a very, it was a, it, like a, a basic but still powerful botnet for IoT devices. And it didn't take long for folks to take that and basically use it as a framework to add on a whole bunch of other exploit kits and other... Uh, attack opportunities to it to make it an even more powerful botnet. Like, is there a risk now with Conti source code being out there that we're going to get some super ransomware in the near future?
1: Uh, absolutely. I, I would say I would start with the positive. It's actually good for the research community to have the source out, especially if the command and control channel on the back end. You know, before this, the back end part of it was pretty you know, that wasn't the attacker's control. So even if you got the ransomware binary, which you could reverse, not quite the same as source code, you could at least understand the ransomware, but the backend source is, is great for researchers. So I will start by saying there's positive benefit to the source being out. Uh, researchers and security vendors can look at it and maybe try to add protections. But to your point, Mark, absolutely, I mean, whether or not they evolve it into the big biggest botnet unsophisticated attackers now have source code that they can make ransomware out of you know uh, there's plenty of folks that pay money on this for the underground the underground uh, you know a lot of the i would say the criminal cyber attack community may not be the, the geniuses that can find vulnerabilities and write malware, rather they they buy it. And so once you have source code leak, everyone and their brother is gonna start grabbing it and, and adjusting it and have something to start with. So I'm sure this will start the, the long history of Conti variants, You know, not quite Conti, but new versions of ransomware that are all based on this source leak. Like every other botnet or ransomware source leak in existence, once those happen, variants start popping out.
0: Yeah, not even just like, you know, random one-off hackers, but I'm willing to bet we're going to see some more ransomware-as-a-service variants that directly take this now framework to build on and potentially create even more powerful ransomware variants, or at least more difficult to detect ones, and then turn around and sell that to even lower-skilled hackers. So, yeah. Yeah. I definitely concern like what do you think the impact is though to Conti's operations like I guess leaking all of the source code it's not like oh my god we killed them but it potentially does make it more easy to detect at least their variant of their own ransomware now right like. You'd have to think that by knowing the source code and how it's built, you could potentially make better behavioral detections or signatures even for it. I bet they're going through a pretty big op
1: exercise right now. <laughs> I mean, the, just the Jabber leaks alone has everyone in the world, including authorities, looking at them. Uh, I I don't think you, you mentioned this all started with them making uh, their Conti is Russian-based cyber criminals as far as the community knows and early on they made a kind of a statement against ukraine supporting russia and that's why i think this ukrainian hacker went after them so i have a feeling they're they're i guess the virtual version of on They run if i were them i would be closing down all my my conti servers and trying to set up new infrastructure so I'm, i bet they'll be quiet for a while are they gone probably not uh you know but
0: uh, they probably will be in hiding for a little bit as they rebuild. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, I bet they're. I mean, even as you saw said, evident from the latest chat logs, they're trying to hunt down this guy and figure out who exactly is <laughs> leaking all of their communications. So that that should at least tie them up for a little bit. Um, like but. you
1: although I guess the last update on uh at Wiki or at ContiLeaks was March 2nd but it's it's kind of weird they're still using Chopper. I wonder how long that will last. But
0: at least maybe we as uh the defenders get a little bit of a reprieve now from this specific ransomware variant for a bit of time. Take a deep breath before the next wave hits, I guess. Uh so moving on now, uh last week Nvidia uh makers of the very difficult to get GPUs uh, suffered what appears to be a substantial cyber attack after a data extortion group known as Lapsus with a dollar sign on the end, because that makes it cooler, uh, claimed to have stolen one terabyte of data from the manufacturer. Um, So the group started with a leak of around 20 gigabytes of data, including password hashes for all NVIDIA employees, Uh, They claim to have been in NVIDIA systems for about a week and quickly elevating to admin on a lot of systems internally. Uh, And basically for the last few weeks or so, they've been making extortion demands for NVIDIA, uh, with one of them being ordering them to publish an update to all of their recently released graphics cards to remove the light hash rate or LHR limitation that throttles their cryptocurrency mining potential. Um, and if they don't, they're going to publish all of the schematics, driver and firmware data that they have, which pausing there for a second. Uh, for those that aren't aware, um, graphics cards like the ones made by NVIDIA and also their competitor AMD are what's, what are typically used to mine uh, what's called proof of work based cryptocurrencies. Uh, Bitcoin's technically proof of work, but these days you need uh, basically dedicated hardware to be able to do any mining on that. Ethereum, though, is very very much still mineable using graphics cards and Ethereum variants are as well. Um, and because of the the boom in cryptocurrency mining uh, and just cryptocurrency popularity in general over the past few years, it's actually been really dang hard to get your hands on a graphics card for just normal, you know, video game or other graphics intensive processing usage um, because all of these cryptocurrency miners are buying them up. So in response to that, NVIDIA actually intentionally hamstrung their graphics card's abilities to mine cryptocurrency with this LHR, light hash rate limitation. And miners around the world have been trying to find ways around it, uh, even modifying and installing custom firmware on these. That's a bit of a risky endeavor if you aren't intimately familiar with the firmware on them, because you could potentially wind up with a bricked $600 graphics card. Um, So the threat of releasing all of the driver and firmware source code and information and schematics is a pretty real threat to NVIDIA, I'd say, because it could allow these uh, miners then to go create and develop tools to get around that. Uh, In fact, Lapsus themselves are now selling a LHR bypass tool for the cool $1 million price tag, uh, claiming they can disable this throttling without having to flash anything on the GPU. Uh, So Nvidia uh, put out a statement claiming or confirming the breach. Uh, They iterated that there's no evidence of ransomware and that they don't actually expect any disruption to their normal business uh, operations. Um, So, first off, though, like, like what could uh, an attacker do with source code to a graphics card? Like, so getting around LHR is one thing. I guess if you're a cryptocurrency mining enthusiast, that might be beneficial to you is there any risk of like a rootkit
1: on a GPU? Um, Yeah, why not? I I mean, BIOS malware, there's, there's, uh, I guess it's not quite a BIOS, but there's writable chips on a GPU. Maybe you could hide something there. Password cracking. I don't know. Maybe they could have their malware be hardware accelerated. Uh, I guess there's a lot of risks. Uh, But uh, what I want to know, I'm sorry, I can't help get on a crypto sandbox cryptocurrency sandbox if if cryptocurrency is so legitimate and it's just being used for good things why the heck are criminals hacking a company to make a statement i mean this kind of to me just just leads to y'all are idiots you're trying to to put up this financial thing as something that the world should support and yet you're mad about a graphics card so you hack a company anyways uh, but yeah, it's it's bad for NVIDIA. I'm I'm sure they're, uh, you know, one of the the issues with it leakiness. I'm sure uh, their competitors. I guess maybe hopefully, if they're good competitors, they ignore it. But things like DLSS, there's a. There's a lot of technologies and intellectual property in GPUs nowadays for machine learning and stuff to, to make a rendering and anti-aliasing faster and faster. And uh, having a source code leak like that does
0: also leak trade secrets, which just alone is a pretty big deal. As an AMD enthusiast, I'm so upset about that. <laughs>
1: I wanted to be an AMD enthusiast, but they don't have DLSS yeah. or or good ray tracing. Maybe yet. they will soon, though. That's, that's <laughs> kind of the point. <laughs> uh, they be fickle. They're cheaper. If they do as well, I'd, I'd move in a second.
0: Source code and like emails aren't the only thing that got leaked, though. It looks like their code signing certificate at NVIDIA got leaked as well. Uh, and this is more than just like a so code signing certificates come in a few different forms. There's like a pretty basic one that literally anyone can go get for like a hundred bucks that allows you to just sign your applications that you distribute. Um, But there's even more powerful ones uh, specifically for driver signing as well. Like Microsoft requires extended validation certificates for drivers that get installed. And that is the type of certificate that got leaked as a part of this as well. Um, Which means that malware authors can, and as we actually found out today, have been using some of these code signing certificates to sign their malware now they or are ex- too, uh, they are expired to it, never mind and so <laughs> if your uh, endpoint protection is doing any checks on expired certificates it should throw a giant red flag um, but researchers have found that that doesn't appear to be the case across the entirety of endpoints these days and so uh, some of these malware variants are having some success at getting around protections
1: Yeah, I I hear it's bypassing Windows Defender at least despite the expiration because they are still usable even with that expiration.
0: Yeah, it's like a special setting in Defender to check certificate expiration, which kind of blows my mind. Isn't the whole point of a certificate that you you need to be able to trust it and trust the chain of trust. And the whole point of an expiration is to make sure you intentionally break that chain of trust so you can get a new one kind of thing. But anyways, interesting seeing that actually work.
1: Yeah, and breaking news, I don't think we'll c- cover it in detail, but La- Lapsus, the ones that were did this NVIDIA story, apparently also breached Samsung. Ooh. Uh, so far, they say there's no personal data that's been stolen, but uh, apparently Lapsus has done a, a public dump of 190 gigabit bytes of Samsung internal development data online. So uh, Maybe all of I'm our sure hard drives can get that. a little
0: bit faster now with these trade secrets spilled.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear exactly why Lapsus
0: was targeting them. It's sounding like, like based off of their communications as a part of the NVIDIA one, like they didn't come off as a, we are cryptocurrency miners hacking this company. It came off more as, we hacked this company and, oh, hey, let's throw a bone into the cryptocurrency miners out there and demand that they disable this LHR thing because we've already pwned them. I mean, it's it's tough for me to guess what the morals are for an immoral organization like this going and hacking companies. But man, I wonder what they're trying to get out of Samsung because it's, it's, so far they haven't like demanded like extortion payments, I guess, from the bulk of these. It's been just a bunch of yeah, leaks. To... Both
1: of these claim they're not ransomware. It sounds more like a traditional compromise uh, for the Samsung one. Besides Torrent, I mentioned uh, there there's a telecom. A Telegram channel that uh, apparently some of the sources, including device security, biometric security algorithms that Samsung laptops use, bootloaders, uh, the Knox authentication code. If you, I think if you know much about Samsung mobile, Knox is their kind of their security component. So we'll be interested to
0: see how that one develops. Those could be potentially very useful for attack Attackers. authors. Absolutely. Maybe we'll have to do a an update later on on exactly what comes out of this, because if people are already using stolen certificates from the NVIDIA breach, the Samsung one's going to become a pretty big deal, potentially. Um, but what about like just practical tips? So it turned like the attackers claim to have been on NVIDIA's network for at least a week. And that's pretty much par for the course these days we're seeing with threat actors. Is uh, that,
1: yeah, a week is even yeah, little. Sometimes
0: it's, it's 90 plus days, multiple months. Yeah, it's not the the one and done, you know, oops, you click the executable and now the ransomware is installed. Like they will sit there and scope out your network to figure out the most critical resources first and then go after those specifically. And so like, what are some, some things that just a, a general organization can do to defend against that style of attack?
1: Well, we know nothing about root cause, but I would always throw out MFA. You know, I don't know it, but I strongly suspect credentials could be in part of both of these attacks. So MFA always helps. It adds additional you know, protection, some other hoops for these bad guys to jump over. But to your, your, more, your, your question, living on the network, I think you and I, Mark, have talked a lot about prevention sure is a big part of security. Yeah, you, you probably should spend a little more on prevention because it's best not to have a compromise in the first place. But we all know total prevention is, I would even say, impossible. You know, you're never gonna prevent every single thing. There could be an insider or a USB key. There's always something that could allow a bad guy in. So you also need to spend some of your security budget on detection and response. That could be EDR software endpoint detection detection response that helps you find malware that's already on endpoints that might be doing lateral movements. You know, EDR doesn't look for malware in the way preventative stuff does. It's looking for more indicators of things like Lateral movements, or running new processes, or doing unusual scripts on a computer. So have that. I think uh, one thing our team talks a lot about is is security and incident and event management. Having something that takes all your security logs, puts them together, and helps to rise up and correlate different events. You know, anyone that's on a security team has incident handlers. You we all get tons of alerts from different systems. It's great to aggregate those all in one place and more importantly, have things that can alert on them, especially if they can correlate things to to rise up the stuff that's important. So those are two things I could think of. I'm sure you have a few more
0: yourself, Mark. Yeah. And like some of the things that you can look at are like even just looking at traffic volumes can do a lot, like especially in a case like this, where they're literally stealing terabytes of data. Like uh, this is where like, Tools like a sim platform can come in and identify this anomalous traffic where if like, you know, on my day to day basis, I'm doing maybe a couple of megabytes or a couple hundred megabytes or gigabytes of downloads. And suddenly there's a giant traffic spike from this one server like that's a giant, big red flag. And then you can use some of that correlation activity in order to figure out exactly what's going on. So, yeah, some of these visibility tools are really important for any organization to catch these threats. And then it does just basically boil down to, you know, I I hate throwing out the, the the Gartner buzzwords, but like zero trust is a big part of this. And, you know, for as much fun as we poke at it for being a buzzword, like it still just boils down to principle of least privileged. So only allowing the access that you absolutely need to allow someone in order to accomplish their job and restricting it with technical controls otherwise. I don't if you, if you apply it, it internally, it becomes really powerful.
1: Yeah, like, like you said, we joke about it, but if Mark and Corey can only do work related things when they're logged into their trusted company, the second we transfer a terabyte of information super late at night, it, it gives another opportunity to throw a red flag. So, I'm with you. Zero trust, you know, as when we're talking about living in your network for a, a week, it's all about lateral movement. And that's where zero trust helps. You know, if you have a flat network where every user has full access to any IP on the network, that's not zero trust, and that makes lateral movement a breeze. Uh, whereas if you have zero trust, even when a, a bad guy is inside, they're past your your hard and crunchy Tootsie Pop exterior, they won't find a soft center. It's not a Tootsie Pop
0: anymore. It's a jawbreaker. There is really no reason that Your accounting team should have network level access to your source code repository, is the example I tend to give. Like, yes, it's probably and hopefully protected with authentication, but like, why even allow that network connection in the first place when it means that a threat actor that has compromised one of your accountant's workstations can just turn around and then like, try and exploit a vulnerability on that source code repository, for example. That's basically like the crux. Or, of or even patch
1: the hash or, or key moving, right? Uh, sure, we always talk about it does at least have authentication, but it's Windows authentication where pass the hash has worked. And once that that bad guy is on the internal network, it becomes so much easier to start the capture, if not the credential, uh, at least things like hashes or Kerberos ticketing
0: communications. Yeah, hundred percent. And like even these uh, attackers claim that they were able to elevate their level access levels to admin on a lot of systems. And like from our own like, our own research and like other red teamers and penetration testers, it does seem like a hundred percent success success rate of eventually getting a domain level admin account. At which point in time, just you can make your own dang user and log straight into that system if you've got nevel, network level access. Like. This is why zero trust really is so important for organizations to adopt quickly. And I'd say with any greenfield network, you should absolutely start it with zero trust in mind. It can be a bit of a chore, you know, going back and um, unflattening some of these networks if that's how you originally set it up. But this is another one that directly pays back in dividends in terms of security protections once you've uh, set up that deny by default access and then, you know, enacted, like you said, strong MFA, strong identity um, services, and then using that just to allow access to some of these systems. So I do think Zero Trust is absolutely the future. I feel like it was also the past. We just didn't have a pretty name for it. And so people didn't actually adopt it. Uh, but <laughs> hopefully now. Yeah, maybe, there, maybe there is a benefit of buzzwords. If yeah. it means people adopt it, I'm all in. Same. I, I'm with it too. Uh, unfortunately, you know, hindsight's 2020 for Nvidia, and we have no idea exactly how they they got in yet. Um, based off how uh, how much how many leaks this organ lapsus has done, I, I'm willing to bet at some point they'll say how they they got in, but I guess time will tell. And in the meantime, I, we all just need to make sure we do a better job of uh, setting up controls to catch threat actor activity, I suppose. Now, time to go find a new graphics card, I guess. Don't tell me that. I'm still looking for a 3080 Ti. Good luck. Maybe they can leak one of those. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore, Corey is at SECADEPT, and the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.